Hey, everyone. Before we get into today's interview, just wanted to drop a little reminder to stay up to date with all the latest episodes of On The Margin. You can subscribe to the BlockWorks Backrow YouTube. Just go up there, just click the little uh, subscribe button, or you can click the links at the top of this episode. It'll take you over to Apple, Spotify, whatever your preferred platform is. Just subscribe there. If you could, leave a rating and review. Really appreciate it. All right, on with the show. All right, everyone, welcome back to another weekly roundup edition of On The Margin. Hey, I'm joined, as always, by my indubitable co-host, Mr. Mark Rusko. I thought I'm giving you British-sounding adjectives. Uh, indubitable, because it's going to be <laughs> jolly good in, in uh, jolly old England in March of 2024, right before the big happening. And, and we're going to talk a lot about the having today. In fact, do a little reveal. I, I, got the, uh, I got the green candle pants on today because it's been so awesome. And I have the uh, the having socks. Um, now, what's amazing is I just realized that that I've been wearing Mount Socks sock game for the better part of four years, every day, pretty much, and starting to wear out a little bit. And you know, I, I kind of need the twenty twenty four having socks if if they're listening and if they've made them yet. Uh, if they were to show up, that'd be good. But um, it's pretty crazy. I mean. It's interesting. This week is the 10th anniversary of my meeting with Dan Moorhead out in San Francisco, where he shut me down and said, hey, I'm, I'm shutting down my hedge fund. And I, why, why would you shut down a hedge fund and give back a billion dollars charging two and 20? And he's like, I'm going to spend the rest of my career in, in Bitcoin and, and blockchain. And I'm like, and look, I was, I say this all the time. I was not running drugs on Silk Road. I was not a cryptography student. In 2013, I was like, Bitcoin. I mean, I'd kind of heard about it. You know, I'm not a techie nerd. I had heard about it, but I didn't, didn't really know about it. And, um, you know, but when he said blockchain is the, you know, infrastructure layer for the new web, I'm like, Okay, infrastructure, I, I understand. I made a lot of money in infrastructure over the years. I mean, not me personally, but for all the people that I've worked for. Um, you know, everybody knows my story about Google and, you know, 200 million bucks for Notre Dame from 500K. But, but infrastructure I got. And so invested with him in his first venture fund. And you know, it's like a 11X or something. It's been great. But I should have bought the Bitcoin fund because it's up 300 plus X and I, but I didn't. And because I was skeptical and I didn't really understand and I hadn't done any work. And, and then, yeah, everybody's heard the stories too, that, you know, I, I did the work in 2014 in March and I thought, okay, it's pretty cool. And I wrote about it and my clients were like, you're an idiot. Don't talk about this. We'll fire you. I'm like, wow. I mean, that, that's just a violent reaction. Um, but I guess that's the reaction that people have to new ideas that they don't really understand. That's, that's the reaction people had to the internet. That's people reaction people had to computers way back when, um, you know, the, the horseless. It's, it's always incumbents too, right? It's like you're, when you have a new industry, you're disrupting someone else. And so, all right, I'm going to shill a Twitter account here that I absolutely love. It's called Pessimists Archive. Oh so, my God, that's it. That's yeah. where I saw it. Yep. Yeah, great account where they basically, I don't know how they get these old clippings from newspapers like the Times or whatever, 
But they, what they do is that they go back in time, you know, going back to 1800s almost time frame, and they'll clip things that people were pessimistic of and suspicious of. And it's things as mundane as bicycles, Mark. People's, oh, no, no, no. absolutely. There are anti-bicycles, yeah. Bicycles yeah. were like, were, were like you were, you were the devil's spawn if you wanted yeah, yeah. to own a bicycle. Yeah. Like a proper, a proper person would never ride a bicycle. I promise you a, a London historical fact uh, every week. I've actually got a good one for you. And then we can get into discussions of, uh, I want to talk to you about crypto and I want to talk to you about macro this week. So this one is going <laughs> to, honestly, the visual of this just, just made me laugh. But um, so back in, uh, in the, you know, Tower Bridge in yeah. London, which is yeah. kind of that famous, it's got the blue archways, et cetera. So you know, London relative- Bridge is falling down, falling down, but that's called the Tower Bridge. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So uh, back in 1952, it started to rise when there was a bus driver that was still on the bridge. This guy's name was Albert Gunter. And, and he ended up being in this situation where he was on the bridge. It was rising like this. And he had to make a choice about staying put and falling or gunning it. This guy gunned it, cleared a 10-foot gap. And you know what he got in reward for his quick thinking? Fine. One day off. One no, day off. One day off. <laughs> Isn't better that just the fired. funniest thing you've ever heard? Yeah, it is, be- it is better than being fired. Yeah, my God. But... Um, anyway, a little bit of a London history fact to get you all on the edge of your seat this morning and the visual of that. The history of London is, is, is extraordinary. And oh, yeah. so oh, much yeah. the history is so cool. Just to wrap up and put a book in on what Mark and I are talking about. We are talking, of course, about DAS London. This is the conference that both Mark and I are going to be at March 18th through the 20th in London. We hope that you'll all be there. Again, use code MARGIN20. We've had a new slew of speakers go live today some of whom have been on the show. So we'll have Michael Howell, Joseph Wang, Julian Brigden. So there's going to be a very cool uh, blending of the macro and, and the digital assets in Bitcoin. We're going to have Santiago Santos, Tara McCauley of Lantern Ventures, Eric Balkunas, uh, who's the ETF guy over at Bloomberg. So really good crowd. We hope that you join us in London. And again, use code MARGIN20. Okay, um, let's let's move on here to, I want to get your opinion on what's going on with with Bitcoin here. Because I think the... So as as we're recording a this, warm up act. This is like yeah, it's like Toto, you know, warming up for for Journey. Okay, so as we're as we're recording here, Bitcoin actually just crossed, uh, even as we've been recording, uh, thirty seven thousand. And if this is, um, well, I, I have an opinion on it because this is sort of triggering a memory for me. But the price action here does look a little bit bizarre. So just to refresh uh, for listeners who might not have caught our last couple episodes or might not be as as in tune with the price action of Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin basically had this false start, this ETF false start, courtesy of the Cointelegraph intern. We're sort of joking here, but real, really, a couple of weeks ago, the Cointelegraph Twitter account tweeted out that the iShares uh, ETF had been approved. It was just incorrect. Um, but what it did do was it, it caused this big run up in the price of Bitcoin, which it retraced a little bit, but it's been on this slow grind up. Ever since, and if you're following along via video here, what you can see is this sort of, I guess, just funny price action where it runs up from twenty-seven thousand, you know, straight up to thirty-five, gives a little bit back, but it's been kind of slowly edging up here, and now we're at the point where just over a week uh, prior, we're now over thirty-seven thousand. What what do you what do you make of this, Mark? The bottom line is, people are getting the joke, right? And the joke being that. Despite all his best efforts to, you know, 
delay and obfuscate and 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 you know stop the the, the train, right? Um, the train's coming, and the ETF is is going to be approved. Uh, you know, we've seen all this stuff about you know the uh, the the QSIP being being released and. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's coming and, and I think that that's certainly part of it. Um, but, but most importantly, this accumulation pattern has been going on for a year, right? This is two days ago was the anniversary, uh, the one year anniversary of the fateful day where, you know, FTX ceased redemptions and, and withdrawals. And then, you know, everything came out that, they were just bad people doing bad stuff. And, and, and we had the, the crash, right? We had the crash from the, the low twenties all the way down to 15, nine. And it was like, Oh, you know, you said the bear market was over in June and, and here we made new lows. I'm like, look, yeah, I did. And cause I did not see hurricanes, hurricane Sam coming. I didn't, I, I did not know he was a fraud. I, Talk all the time. We skip, you know, we didn't invest, but we didn't invest because we thought it was a bad guy. We didn't invest because the valuation was dumb. But I I didn't see it. But from that point, and you can go back and you can, you know, the nice thing is you can roll back the tape. You can watch the shows from right around a year ago where we said, you know, this is it. This, this is the cathartic kind of, you know, bottom. And now we're gonna. We're going to slowly grind back toward fair value because all the bad news is, is kind of out there. And, you know, the difference between crypto spring, crypto summer, and crypto fall is crypto spring isn't the big bounce off the bottom. That, that's not what crypto does, right? The, the bear market, crypto winter is, is bad, right? Because you're not only unwinding the, the degenerate gambler leverage, but you're in a very illiquid market that has all these gaps and it, it's just bad. And the, and, and the haters are out and the boo birds are out. And, and so it's bad. And so you're not going to get like the, the classic, you know, S&P bounce. You know, when the S&P has a bear market, it, it does the V-shaped bottom. That doesn't happen in crypto. You get this kind of bounce along the bottom and, and kind of slow grind. I, I think about spring. It's windy. It's muddy. It's it's kind of not really that nice. And you can kind of go out and kind of do stuff. But then summer comes, and everyone's like, "Well, summer means oh, we're gonna be straight up." No, 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 no. Summer is that slow accumulation. People are coming back. They're getting they're getting used to being excited again. And it's it is this series of higher highs and higher lows. And if you look over the last year, we've had exactly that. Higher highs. Doesn't mean we don't go down. Doesn't go straight up. Doesn't mean up every day. But that the real difference is bull markets and bear markets are, are fundamentally different. A bull market is a market that goes up most days, but goes down sharply on bad news or perceived bad news. Okay. That's a, that's a bull market. Okay. You don't have big down days in a bear market. You have big down days in a bull market, right? Because it's, mm. it, you don't believe it. And conversely, a bear market is a market that goes down most days, but goes up sharply 
on good news or perceived good news. And so all the big up days in markets happen in bear markets because people are like, oh, it's over. And boom, short squeeze. And, and then it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's not over. We're still going down. It's like a ball bouncing down a set of stairs. Each bounce is higher. It's just kinetic energy. But the end of the trip is a bad place. And so we are clearly in a bull market. And I love the fact that Morgan Stanley, like last week, came out and said, we think crypto winner's over. Oh, you think? Like it was over almost two years ago, 18 months ago. So get with the, the program. So we are still in crypto summer until next June, post having. Then we get to crypto fall. And crypto fall is the fun time, right? That is when the MOMO and the FOMO and, and all the, but then, you know, it, you, you go from, you know, FOMO to MOMO to oh no, because then you start crypto winner again on the other side and so on. Anyway. Yeah. You know what? I, so I, that's a really good uh, framework for, for listeners. I also, I don't know. I was trying to think back and put together almost a checklist. So I, I put together this list. I hate to share screen on one of my own tweets here, but I, I, I sort of, I'm like, history, I think that the lesson of this last cycle is that history is not going to repeat exactly, but it is going to rhyme. Yeah. And I, so I put together this list of like things that I sort of remember happening at the beginning of the last cycle. And it was, uh, so idio idiosyncratic PVP rallies within crypto. So like the success of a couple small things, which like, gets the people go. This is for the crypto natives only. It shows the like willingness to return to speculate and gamble yep. again. It shows that yep. there's some energy. I feel like you've seen that in a couple of different respects. Friendtech, yep. Solana, Chainlink. You're starting yep. to see these like small idiosyncratic sort of rallies break apart. You're and this was this was DeFi summer back in 2020, which ran really like ahead of Bitcoin. By the way, I'm so, taking full credit for the Solana pump. I'm taking full credit, right? <laughs> you know, they, they came at me. The Solana fam came at me because I said, you know, transactions vaporized. And I met with a couple guys and I said, you know what? Fine. I'll believe you that you fixed it. And so, you know, uh, I'll, I'll be positive. And, and since then, it's more than double. And I mean, I, I had nothing to do with it, obviously, but I am taking full credit. Uh, congratulations to that whole community. It feels like there's a rebirth going on over there. We're, we're, we're rooting for them. Then uh, Bitcoin runs. Bitcoin is starting to run right now. And that I remember this dynamic last time too of option sellers getting caught off sides. So the, options, yep, yep. the option seller dynamic is one of uh, picking up pennies in front of a steamroller, right? You're sort of constantly selling options. You're clipping this premium and it's a short volatility position. Actually, the last time who made a lot of money doing this is the now infamous Three Arrows Capital made a bunch of money buying up those options that were mispriced because there was a bunch of volatility incoming. Turns out that was a very good trade. And I, I, I do sort of wonder if what we're seeing right now is a little bit of a gamma squeeze action here where there are some option 100%. sellers which are caught offside. And uh, and I, I feel like that's starting to happen again. But you know, the thing that we really need here is for Bitcoin to run a little bit harder. And then you'll start to see other things like, uh, like Coinbase hasn't gone down yet. <laughs> a text from relatives... My dad listens to this show and he heard me say, my dad hasn't texted me yet. So if you're listening to that, hello, I still haven't gotten a text from you this week. So that's still uh, an X on this list. But you um, know, it's coming, right? Thanksgiving's just around the corner and we're all going to get that, that conversation and we're all going to get, um, well, I'll tell you this, this is interesting. 
So um, my son, seventh grader, uh, came home at, well, after his football game yesterday, said, you know, some kids were saying, there's no way you're my dad. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And somehow, right, Twitter or whatever, um, a couple of, of sixth graders had had seen me and put, because it's, it's a unique name, right? And and said, there's no way this is your dad. No, no, well, one, he's too old. I'm like, well, yeah, I am. Um, and kids uh, are so nice. Kids on the younger kid, but, but uh, so and it is kind of funny when I go to, you know, parent teacher stuff and people are like, grandpa? I'm like, nope, I'm, I'm the dad. I'm the dad. And they're like, oh, when'd you get the new wife? I'm like, nope, same wife. And they're like, how's that possible? I'm like, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a long story. So, but it, it, it is interesting in that now they didn't ask any for any advice. So that hasn't happened yet, but I just think it is interesting that, you know, people of all ages are out there, you know, looking at, at Bitcoin stuff. Yeah, I think it is too. I think that's really cool. Well, such, such, such tactful kids are, uh, you love kids. Um, oh my God. <laughs> so funny. And he's like, he's like, you're, you don't look that old dad. I'm like, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> Fine. 60 years young. All right. So in, in terms of Bitcoin here, maybe what we're starting to see is the, the beginnings of, uh, of that summer fall sort of period that you were referring to there. And I think there are some endogenous uh, drivers there. So obviously the ETF is a really big deal. This sort of shift in regulation and, and the courts winning uh, the, the, some of the SEC charges that they brought, that's a really big deal. The halving, that's another endogenous catalyst or driver. Yes, today, like physically today, you know, we're recording a day earlier than we normally do. But, but today, the part of this pump is... Uh, the G-man saying that FTX could reboot under new ownership. That, you know, that, 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 and, and I guess him saying that, I don't know why it matters because he doesn't really have regulatory jurisdiction over it. And I guess if they reboot in the U.S., then, then he would, obviously. Uh, and maybe that's what they're going to do. But, you know, one of our portfolio companies is one of the bidders for uh, the the FTX assets. So oh, we'll, that's we'll so see. interesting. Yeah, can we'll see what happens. Who, can you say who that is? Or I saw bullish was involved. There's yeah, a headline. Figure, figure. Yeah, nice. Okay, one of cool. the hitters. And, okay, um, can, I've got so many questions on that. Then I because this is something I was wondering about, and when I when I first heard that there was a possibility that FTX could restart, I had this knee jerk reaction of why? Why would you ever do that? And then then I thought about it, and I let it, let it sit with me, and I was like, you know what? You know, actually gut reaction, I could see that. Um, I think a huge part of, of my question there is, okay, I guess the thing that's valuable there is the consumer and, and user base, right? Like famously, people are very sticky to these sorts of applications, but I do wonder, obviously, after something like FTX, are they going to be sticky anymore? Then there's the branding question, and then there's the tech question. So like, what does the tech stack of FTX look like? Are you going to keep the name FTX? Do you change it? Like, if you change it, because I get why you would, then aren't you losing a lot of what you're buying? So, Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a very complicated question for all those reasons. And you know, at the end of the day, I think the tech stack is, is fine. Yeah. It's fine. Um, I think the UI UX was pretty good. I mean, I wasn't a power user of FTX like no, some people. Either. 
but but the ones that I talked to that were power users, like the UI UX is better than than other places. That's fine. I mean, I I, I think the UI at Coinbase is actually pretty good. I I don't have any problems with it. Um, but I think true traders, um, gamblers and speculators, um, it's probably more appropriate. Uh, they, they like it better. So that's fine. Um, the trust thing, right? That's, that's a tough one. Um, you know, would, would you really buy your energy from Enron 2.0? I mean, really, would you? I, I guess if they priced it cheaper, and you're like, it's a different team and skilling's in jail and they're not going to steal from me again. Okay, fine. Um, I, I, and I think if you really trusted the new management, then, yeah, the, the, but then, then the brand is the brand. But I just think it's hard to think because I'm, I'm sitting here trying to think of an example. Was there an example of, of something that, that did something awful, some brand that did something awful and then kept going and, and was reborn? It's kind of like with me and BlockFi, right? BlockFi right. didn't steal. BlockFi didn't defraud. BlockFi was a victim. Did they have some risk management issues? Yeah, probably. Yeah. You know, did they need maybe a better manager of the banking? I can't call it a bank, but but the the banking functionality. Sure. But those people were honest. They're good people. They did not steal. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Sam stole. Total integrity. Yeah, stole, right? yeah. Celsius, different story. Voyager, different story. Using a token to leverage... That's different. Okay. That's what I did. So, so I'm with you on this. I think there's a, this is the tricky part of it where even Celsius versus FTX, I weirdly feel very different. I, oh, so I was, never, I was never a user of FTX. Uh, but you know what FTX did well, especially amongst crypto natives? They, for a while, had such a good brand. I was actually just with a, an up-and-coming crypto company, and it was kind of like, hey, if you had to pick the brand of something, what would you be? And they had a couple companies and then they thought and they said, you know what? Before it blew up, FTX, what they really nailed was at the same time as they were this big growing, you know, raised a bunch of money, like clearly more corporate sort of company. They also amongst the, the natives, which is the core user base of these sorts of products, they had a great brand because SBF, before we found out who he was, he would respond to people on Twitter. They did memes. They did like cool stuff and didn't take themselves too seriously. And, and that's, the, that's the difference between even something like Celsius, which to be honest, I think everyone in their hearts of hearts was like, oh, I don't know. Okay, they've got a lot of money and clearly they're sophisticated, but like, I don't really know about this brand. But I, but Feels icky. FTX. Feels icky. Yeah. Yeah, that's a technical FTX. term. And so that's why I, I'm just so, I'd be very curious to see who ends up winning that, winning that deal. I probably now would be on the side that it's a good thing to restart it. You probably have a better road to repairing, uh, to, to paying creditors back. By the way, Soul going up is also really good for that. So, um, yeah, I, I think, you know, I'd be supportive of it. Um, but like it's, it's interesting. And, and, you know, assets are different than people, right? If you take all the bad people away and, and you have the assets, and you put new people in, is the asset, the assets kind of agnostic, right? The asset, the tech didn't steal your money. The tech didn't fail. 
the, the company itself isn't the perpetrator. The people are the perpetrators. Mm. People are the bad ones. The people are the ones that stole the client money and gave it to political candidates. The, they're the ones that did the money laundering. I mean, so it, that, it, I, I think it's, it's a very interesting dynamic. And, and it's why, you know, look, at, we are supporting, you know, our names on, on one of the, the documents that's supporting this, this bid for, for the assets. And I don't know who's going to win, but um, I'm, I, I came around like you. I, I, at first I was like, no, no, life's too short. Um, let's, let's go, you know, let's go build a new one. Right, right, right. right. Novo. Yeah. But, you know, why? You know? Yeah, kind of with you on that. Kind of with you on that. I think uh, you, you do have to be really careful about how you manage the brand, assured people. I think on the bullish case, so I'm trying to imagine myself as someone who had lost a bunch of money on FTX. And then I'm trying to imagine, okay, I just thought this money was gone. Now maybe I'm getting 30 cents back on my dollar. Maybe now I'm getting 50. 50. I think a lot of it would depend, frankly, on if the exchange was getting restarted and I was really confident about this new management and I didn't really have to do much and my money was just going to be there and it reopened. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm like, I bet there'd be a higher percentage than you'd bet of people being like, you know what? Okay, new management. I'll just, I, I, okay, I got well, my money back. And, and and if they're smart, which I, I think they are, the, the, the way the way I would do it is I would say, you know what? As a loyal customer, you get a little sliver. You get a little something. something. You know what? I agree with that. That's- you know, you get a little bonus. You get a little extra. You're gonna we're gonna we're gonna pay you back for your loyalty, and that's so easy, right? You juice the you juice the the yields. You do, and I don't mean it. I don't mean it in an untoward way. No, no, no. Share. You share the profit with, with the people who, and it would be so easy and, and you could do it publicly and you could get a lot of, Oh, add a boy. We love you. Add a girl. Um, we love you. And I, I, I think that's easy. And inertia is amazing, right? Cause to move your assets, you gotta go and you gotta pick them and go, well, where am I going to put them? And do I really, so I, I don't know. I think it could be interesting. That's what I mean too about just the the sheer laziness of of the average customer in in which I would probably put myself in that box. Inertia, just inertia, laziness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm referring to myself, so I'll be a little self deprecating. It's just I know. It's I know. yeah. It's just you have to you have to move stuff, and I just yeah. I, I sort of my that was my gut tells me too. Well, I'm so, the laziest guy on the planet, and, and it's so funny when I when I said people are like, "What are you talking about? You're not lazy. You, you work all the time." I'm like, no, 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 I just don't understand. I, I, I tend towards laziness. I mean, I love what I do. I love working, but, but if, if I had a choice, I I'm happy to sit in a hammock and read a book or sit on the beach and, or go play video games with my kid. I mean, I lazy. Yeah. I, I like lazy. It's good. All right, everyone. We will be back to the program in just a moment, but before we do, I wanted to give you the inside scoop about something that we've been cooking up at BlockWorks these last couple of months. So in March of this coming year in London, BlockWorks is going to be gathering 1,200 of the world's largest asset managers. That's fund managers and allocators, financial institutions, think big banks, payment providers, et cetera, and professional traders at the largest institutionally focused conference in digital assets, DAS London. Now, it's very rare that you get the likes of JP Morgan, 
Goldman Sachs, Point72, the large HFTs, the family offices all in one room at the same time. So if you want to know what the big money is doing in digital assets these days, this is the conference for you. To give you an early sneak peek at some of the stuff that we're going to be talking about, one, the intersection of macro and digital assets. And where are we in the market cycle? We're going to be talking about real world assets, so that stable coins, on-chain treasuries, all of that fun stuff. And we're going to be talking about things from the allocator perspective. So what are the big money managers in crypto doing these days? And because you are such a good listener of On The Margin, I'm giving you an extra code MARGIN20. So click the link at the bottom of this episode. Again, use code MARGIN20, and I will see you in sunny London town in March. Yeah. So I want to I want to get your your perspective. We're talking about endogenous factors to digital assets, crypto here. I want to get your your thoughts on some of the external factors, which is I still think what's moving markets right now is rates and rate expectations. So here I'm, I'm going to show you a chart of of a couple of of a couple of different um, things here. I mean, it's basically the same thing, but it's I want to get a sense of the real yields and real yields um, on the longer end of the curve. And what we're looking at here is basically a representation. This is the 10-year nominal yield. This is 10-year tips. So basically, you know, real yield expectations on a 10-year basis and then the 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 tens and two spread. So the story here is basically yields have been selling off. Um, they're selling off more on the long end of the curve than they are on the, the short end of the curve, which means we it looked for a little while like the yield curve was going to uninvert or de-invert, whatever the proper word there is but that we've surrendered some of the progress there. So it was less than 20 bips inverted. Now twos and tens is back below 40. And uh, the, the, I, think the, I think the thing to key in here is the 10-year tips yield, which you know, it peaked at 2.5% real yield on a 10-year basis. I mean, that's a pretty phenomenal deal. And I, I do sort of wonder if the story here is that, you know, we had ne- even the whole time the Fed was hiking rates, we had negative real yields, especially on the long end of the curve, which which led to loose financial conditions, which is maybe why the market has, has stayed as strong as it has. It, you know, we we did a huge swing in real yields up into positive territory. And and maybe that was as much as the market could bear for a period of time. And we're going to start to see some some mean reversion there. And and I do my my thesis now I'm editorializing myself here. But my thesis for a while, just because of, of, of our debt load, is that eventually we're going to have to move into a negative real yield environment. You know, wherever inflation and, the, and yields end up shaking out, I sort of feel like we have to let inflation run above yields at some point in the next, or like it, otherwise I just don't know what we're going to do about, with our debt. So I wonder if that's part of the picture here for Bitcoin as well. That's a, that's a headwind, which was the market sensed a peak in real yields. There's starting to be some, some mean reversion here. And maybe that's the exogenous factor that's driving digital assets right now. What do you think? A great analysis that uh, is completely, completely logical and, and, you know, probably right with one small caveat that I would add, which is uh, if you look at that, you know, 60 degree angle on the left side in the two charts on the left, uh, where yields were just skyrocketing. Um, and then you see the, the peak, you know, three weeks ago and this, this collapse. Basically, it's, markets are cyclical, right? You right. I'm saying history rhymes for, for a reason. Markets are cyclical and they go from, it's like a pendulum swinging, you know, greed and fear 
Those are the only two human emotions in, involved in investing. And, you know, we went from this, you know, the Fed started tightening the, the knob and nothing broke. So they tightened a little more, nothing broke. Then they tightened a little more. Oh shit, stuff's breaking. Like third largest bank failure in history. I mean, no one even talks about that anymore. We had the third largest bank hit, bank failure in history and just got subsumed into JPM and okay, we're all good. Like, let's think about that for a second. And so, you know, discussions of loss control, but the real thing for me, everyone who could short was short. There was no one left to short. Everyone, everyone, every hedge fund, every government, every, everyone was short rates. And now we just got a big old short squeeze and, and people are off sides. Back to your point about, you know, people were writing options and people were, you know, futures trading and there was leverage. And, and if you look at the data, it just, everyone was on one side of the boat. And when that happens, you better get to the other side of the boat fast or else you're going to capsize. And so I, I think now we're seeing, uh, a reaction that that will be more persistent than people think. And uh, to your point, the, the, the real reason is this, we can't afford as a country and economy, this level of, of real rates because we got a, a spending problem. And that spending problem and that deficit problem and that debt problem can, can only have one solution devaluation of currency, right? It's the only solution. There, there is no other way out. And just look at Japan and look at what happened to the end. And, you know, that's, that's coming. Um, so anyway, that's, that's my thought is that this is the mother of, of, of all short squeezes and bonds right now. And if you were short bonds, you're licking your wounds. You know, we're up, I think 10% since we started talking about this. Uh, TLT. Yeah. So do you think here, do you, cause the, the question is right. Eventually I think it's probably a good assumption that we're not going to be in a permanently inverted twos and tens yield curve environment. So at some point that would have to uninvert, which means that, you know, yields on the short end has to come down, which the market is, the market is starting to price that in for, for next year or yields on the long end need to go up which would mean uh, tightening in financial conditions again, which I have to imagine would be bad for risk assets. One of those two things has to happen. They're not even mutually exclusive. Both can happen at the same time. The reality is um, higher interest rates, particularly on the long end, are normally a sign of economic strength, right? means you think things are getting better. So, and and actually I'm doing a a webinar later today uh, on this, right? calling, you know, return to the old normal, right? We've been in this, the problem is investors, there's a whole generation, right? We had 13 years, so we have a whole generation of investors that only know the new abnormal, right? There was nothing normal about 2009 to 2022, nothing. There's nothing normal about that, okay? Zero interest rates, the only other precedent we have is in the 1930s and into the 40s. 
And it, 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 people don't study history. I mean, you study history, but no one else studies history. I mean, not no one else, but, but you know, only smart people study history. And um, the average person just is ignoring that. And they're like, oh, well, this is normal. Like, no, this is not normal. Normal, right, is actually 5 to 10% interest rates. Yeah. That is normal. For the last 100 years, 5 to 10, we're just back to the bottom of the normal. And so the idea that, that somehow um, we fixed all of our problems and, and we're going, you know, well, I shouldn't say. The fact that people keep saying, oh, well, we're going to go back to those new abnormal because the Fed's going to have to cut and they're going to have to stay. Like, yeah, they probably are, but that's abnormal. So we're not going back to normal. We're going back to abnormal at some point. I think there's a lot of deflationary stuff on the horizon rather than inflationary. Um, but, but right now we're, we're more normal than abnormal and people just don't know how to deal with it. And, you know, capitalism doesn't work below the 2% bound. It just doesn't. And at zero interest rates, it really doesn't work. And at negative interest rates, it really doesn't work. You get horrible misallocation of capital. And that's exactly what happened. Now, the one thing that, that, that is troubling with all of this, though, is we have this weird dynamic where the average individual was actually pretty smart in this period in terms of their debt management. They extended their duration. They lowered their interest. And so, so that was actually pretty smart, right? Think about what, what should the government have done over the last decade? They should have issued 30 years or 50 years or 100-year bonds. What did they do? They issued bills. It, idiots, complete idiots. And now they got the bill-bond ratio at the highest level ever into a rising rate environment. <laughs> They're SOL. They're in bad shape. But the average individual is, in, is okay. But here's the real problem. Now with this gap up in rates, well, I can't move. Like literally, people are trapped. They can't sell their house and buy a new one because you'd have to buy half as much house. And, or prices have to fall 50%. Neither one of those are very pleasant for people. So No. So uh, just in response to the uh, build first bonds ratio and the government not terming out their debt. So we had Andy on the show last week. He made the point. Uh, so he made the point basically that the explicit policy of quantitative easing when they were issuing all of this debt was to take duration out of the market, right? The whole point was to loosen financial conditions for everyone else. So if they had dumped duration on the market in the form of 10s, 20s, 30 years, then yes, the government probably could have financed itself for a long time at a very cheap rate, but it would have defeated the policy purpose of what they were trying to do with all of that. I mean, they could have dumped it on lots of people, but hell, they could have sold it to Christine Lagarde, um, although she was busy buying up the European bonds. But I, I hear, I mean, look, Andy, I love Andy. He's great. Did you ask him about Pogo? Did you? I did. Yeah, uh, I asked him about it. What did he say? Yeah, he plays it. He said someone else too. There was someone else, uh, another... Apparently, there's an elite circle of uh, financial Wall Street types who play uh, Pokemon Go. So that's the real insider club. 
Well, it, and well, it is an insider club, but it's it's not quite as insider as the the VC crew that plays Magic the Gathering, like high stakes Magic the Gathering. So oh, I used to play Magic the Gathering. Oh, high stakes. I don't know about that. I played when I was, you know, like 10, yeah. or, 10 or 11 or something. Well, like when that. I say high stakes, meaning these are the people that actually own the Black Lotus cards, like the $500,000 card. And, um, and, and probably one of them now is trying to buy the, the ring card that the kid unwrapped. I mean, this, this is amazing. This, this kid, I mean, he's not a kid, he's in his twenties, but, um, he unwrapped the one of one ring card and it's arguably worth two and a half million dollars. And, uh, wow. He's like literally shaking in the video when he's unwrapping it. And it's just, it's like really cool. Wow. So, Good for him. Scarcity. No, and, and that, and look, scarcity, which is part of the reason why Bitcoin is so exciting. It is a scarce asset that is digitally native. So it, it works in the new, you know, web three world um, or third generation internet. If you don't like the term web three, we'll call it third generation internet, whatever. Um, but it, it's this beautiful technological innovation that replaces trust with truth. And that construct, that simple construct of taking the you know, $7 trillion of trust friction and liberating it is, is just so powerful. I mean, it's, it's incredibly powerful. And it's not going to happen tomorrow. But it is going to happen, and that's that's the part that's it's just amazing, and, it, and it's why you can tamp down Bitcoin as we've seen, right? You can create futures contracts in 2018, and you can tamp it down from twenty thousand to you know three thousand, and then it'll bounce back. And it's like trying to hold a, a ball underwater. You can do it for a while. If you slip, it's going back up. And you can tamp down when you do a futures ETF uh, and the big banks can go short from 69 down to whatever, 15.9. But you can't keep it underwater forever. And that's what's happening right now. And what's, what's going to be crazy, I mean, crazy in this move the numbers are going to be so big. They're going to catch people's kind of emotional off-size meter, I think, in a really crazy way. I mean, there'll be you some. Oh, go ahead. That's just a really good point. Yeah, like I, I can imagine, you know, when Bitcoin starts to flirt with 100,000, I mean, you can see that those headlines write themselves, right? I mean, that's going to be the media. That, no, that's it. And and there's just something about six figures, right? We talk about six figure salaries and we talk about, there's just something about six figures that it just, it's, it's an emotional thing. And, and once this goes from logic to emotion, whew, <laughs> then the fun starts. Yeah. And, you know, I, I used to, I used to think to myself that when, as Bitcoin sort of proved, it's proved itself and got older. And if you just look at the track record of, Bitcoin returns. I mean, it's pretty, the, the numbers sort of speak for themselves. And I used to think, I used to think that people would come around and 
I, I don't I believe that more and more people will come around, but I think it's just always gonna have its its haters. In the same way that I've told you this story before. Always. I told you this story before when when I was one of the first events Jason and I ever hosted. Uh but really it was like a one of these when Blockworks was still a side hustle for the two of us, I talked to this 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 guy who came to to the event and we were talking about whether or not Bitcoin had a future back in twenty eighteen. And you know, we were talking about well, people thought the same thing about the tech companies and the internet. And he was like, and we were like Amazon, you know, Amazon did this drawdown for two 90% drawdowns. And he was basically, I can't remember exactly what he said. It's like, well, we'll still see about Amazon. <laughs> it ah! just struck me at that point. I was like, like Amazon ah. at that point, you know, is a you know 25 year old company, one of the largest companies in the world. Yeah. And this guy's still like waiting for it to collapse. And it's just, it was just a really good. No, Michael, that, that's, that's such an important point because. I was just gonna make the same point. So again, we, we are becoming one mind, um, which not on, not on everything, but but that's good. But but it is. I was literally gonna make the same point that there are still people that are waiting for the collapse of Amazon, of Apple, of of whatever, and and they will keep waiting. And the the crazy thing about that is they're conflating two issues, right? They're conflating volatility, right? Which all volatility is, is a disagreement about a future state. Mm. Right? That's all it is. Just a difference in opinions and time. And it's kind of like, I think we talked about this last week that uh, I was having a debate with somebody on, on something and, and we, you know, we both came to a realization at the same time. We're like, once again, in investing, there's no right and wrong. It's just different timelines. My timeline was short. His was long. And he's like, yeah, you're probably right in the short term, but I'm right in the long term. And it was sort of both right. So it's not, it's not right, wrong. It's, it's just timelines different. And the thing about volatility is if, if you have no volatility of an asset, what does that mean? It means there's certainty. If I give the government X dollars in a T-bill, they will pay me Y dollars with 99.9999999% certainty, right? I mean, there's a non-zero chance they're going to default, but, but not very high. And therefore, there's not going to be any volatility. It's just not. And so someone could then lever those up and cause a little bit of volatility if they had to you know, delever because interest rates moved or something. But, but if your duration is short enough, you can't, even, you can't even have volatility then. So... It's just, it's a zero volatility asset. If, if I buy a longer duration bond, I might get a little volatility because it's not certain what the Fed's going to do, shockingly, right? It's just shockingly, you know, unlike the Bitcoin monetary policy, which we know with certainty for 140 years, with certainty, okay? We don't know what the Fed's going to do or not do. So that's just uncertainty, not good or bad, just uncertainty. If we go to equities, now we're talking really uncertain. Go to venture capital, now we're talking really uncertain. But the idea that somehow the 80 vol, 80, 80% volatility of Amazon stock, 80 for 27 years, 80% vol, okay? A double digit drawdown every single year, including this year. It's had two this year, had an 18 and a 22. This year. <laughs> and the average is 31, meaning on average, every year you lose a third of your money. 
So if you ask the average person, how much Amazon do you own? Well, none. The volatility is too high. They don't say the volatility is too high, but why don't they own it? Now they own it in their 401k and because every mutual fund owns it. But if you, the average person does not own Amazon shares. Mm. They just don't. Why not? When was the right time to sell it? Never. Never. You should have bought it on the IPO. Bill Miller bought it on the IPO. His cost is seven cents and he's never sold a share. I mean, the guy's a mad genius. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for listening to On The Margin. I just wanted to take a quick moment to let you know about a very special offer that we have coming out of BlockWorks Research. Now, many of you will probably be familiar with our platform, but BlockWorks Research is the most blue-chip spot to get research, data, governance, models, and a whole lot more about the leading DeFi protocols in the space. I've leaned on our analysts time and time again to explain complicated concepts going on in DeFi to me like I'm five years old. They can do the same for you. If you invest in DeFi or are just interested in it, it is an absolute no-brainer. As a listener of On The Margin, and to say thank you all for listening to the show, you can use Margin 10 for a 10% discount, and that gives you access to everything, which would be weekly in-depth reports, live data, all of that good stuff. So again, that's code Margin10 for a 10% discount. Link is in the show notes. Sign up now. Thank you later. So the, here's one last one last. Uh, story that I wanted to cover with you here because I can see this was a this was a cool headline uh, and you know I love to watch I love to listen to the Coinbase earnings calls because that's the one sort of blue chip public equity that we have in crypto space and Circle uh, is now apparently weighing the prospect of a 2024 IPO so um, so Circle the, the history here is they tried to go public via blank check deal back in 2022. Uh, they have very large backers, including Goldman Sachs, General Catalyst, BlackRock, uh, etc. Uh, for folks who don't know, they're the issuer of USDC, the stablecoin. Very cool backstory here, by the way. That you know, the founder Jeremy Allaire, a big internet guy uh, back in the day, started Circle. Circle used to have a very different business model. They sort of yeah. they did a bunch of stuff. They owned Poloniex, the exchange, at one point. They were really into payments, and they they kind of had their they had a large, uh, very successful OTC trading desk back in the day. And they kind of did a lot of stuff. Goldman backed them back in the 2017 era. There was kind of this huge, uh, I mean, they, they went through a pretty tough time where they questioned everything they did. They sold off Poloniex. It, it was looking pretty bad for a while. Then they issued, they go all in on stable coins. They issue USDC and it becomes the blue chip uh, stable provider, which is just congratulate. And it's been a huge success story ever since. Um, now, the, the the reason I'm excited about this is just one, I feel like Circle's a, a, a company of other very good actors, and then I could read two uh, two earnings calls for our two uh, oh, yeah, exactly. you know, quarterly reports for, for our companies. But uh, but also because, um, yeah, I just think it's, uh, it's a big deal if we start to get more uh, crypto companies going public, which would be cool. It, it, it will be cool. And, you know, we're working on it. And, um, you know, figure is trying to take part of their company public next year and, mm. um, you know, number of others. So, I mean, that's ultimately the goal. And, and look, venture capital is, is a long-term business. It's not a short-term, you know, trading business. It's a long-term business. It takes sometimes decades, you know, to make these, these great companies uh, and to get accepted. And in some kinds, you know, the technology is scary for people. Um, you know, still people that hate Coinbase and, you know, they're going to break back to, to triple digits here probably in the next few days. And again, that's going to just cause cognitive dissonance with people. 
and they're going to say, I missed it. And the, they're going to FOMO in and, and who knows how fast and far this thing can run, but it's a, it's a well-run company that, you know, kind of has, has a lock on, on certain elements. And, and look, when the, when the ETF comes out and it's going to come out, right? It's, it's not a question of, of if it's just when now. So when it comes out, they are going to make a lot of money. Coinbase. I mean, so is BlackRock, but, but, but Coinbase is going to make a lot of money as a service provider to that, to that asset. And that's, you know, going to get a multiple and that's, that's going to be good. So what I think is so interesting right now is how, again, emotion changes, narrative suddenly comes back, you know, to your point of that checklist, which I love. It's the same, it's the same narratives from four years ago, but we had to wait four years, right? To remember that that's what we should be focusing on. Yeah. And, and it's tough to remember. You've gone through a lot in the last couple of years, right? You've yeah. learned. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah we've, we probably should have refreshed our bear market checklist a little bit better you know, at Blockworks. There's a lot of stuff that I've had sort of vaguely remembered happening from the 2018, 2019 period that, you know, came back and, and became a force. So, well, um, and, and that, that's a great point, you know, cause we, we did the same thing and, and yeah, it's going to end up working out fine, but you know, we had internally for our fund one. So our earliest fund, 18 fund, remember these are 10 year funds. So, you know, you're, you're four years in, in, in 22. And, but we had set up this plan and said, okay, when these things happen, when we get through crypto fall and these things happen, you know, we're going to do these things. We're going to sell, we're going to liquidate. We're gonna, and, you know, it's not telling stories out of school, but kind of messed up. We, we, we suffered from the greed, right? So what happened was at first, it was fair values, 30,000. So once we get above 30,000, you know, we should think about lightening up in our Bitcoin. And, and when Coinbase goes public, we should sell it. And then Coinbase goes public and it goes up a lot on the first day. Like, oh my, it's going to $500. Guys, I don't think it is. But there are a whole bunch of people. And, and so... You know, we listen to the cacophony and, you know, so now it's a hundred dollars and, and maybe it goes back to 200 or 300, but, but it's not going to $500. And Max Kaiser, I love him. And I love Max and I love Stacy and, and they're, they're amazing. But Max throws out the $200,000 number, right? When we, when we hit 50, he's like, ah, 200, absolutely in play. And I remember the conversation with Pomp and Jason and again, I'm not throwing anyone under the bus, but I just remember the conversation like it was yesterday. I, but, but we said 30 was fair value and maybe we could get to 2X that maybe. So somewhere in that 50 number was, was probably the, the, the right play. Like, no, 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 200, definitely 200. And, and yeah, I'm a, I am going to call him out on this, that I did win a, a very large pizza on this bet. So, um, I, I did bet that, you know, cause Pompey just done his Bitcoin pizza thing. And I said, I will bet you a Bitcoin pizza that we do not hit 200,000 in this cycle. Uh, 
again, I wasn't being negative. I was just trying to be realist. And, uh, but we didn't sell everything at 69. That, that's not what we did to your point, because we didn't follow the process of the checklist. And on this cycle, you can be damn straight. We have a checklist and we have some rules and, and there will be much selling going on uh, in crypto fall. You know, it's just difficult for, to for, do. For the, and again, and I make a, you say, oh, you're, you're, you're jumping off. But no, for my funds that have a finite life cycle where I have to return the capital to shareholders, I will be selling. For my other funds, which I'm just investing, I will be buying and hodling. So let me be very clear on that. Okay, just in closing, there is an analogy here in between VC and operating a yeah. a crypto company. And the the analogy that I would make is like I've one of the things that I've that I've heard about is a little bit different about being a crypto VC is if you're not doing just pure uh, equity deals and you're doing you're doing deals where there's a liquid token involved, yeah. you you suddenly as a VC and investor have to think more about when to sell. Versus when you're when you're a, a tr- very traditional VC, it's like I sell when it goes public, and and that decision is basically made for you. So it is this new skill set, and you're starting to see this like new class of crypto VC, which is like kind of VC and kind of hedge fund. A lot of these funds are structured in the sense that it's like fifty percent privates, fifty percent yep. liquid tokens. Yep. In in operating a, a business in crypto, some of the people that I look that have first of all, not many people have done it for that long. For like, if you look for entrepreneurs that have been at this for seven, eight years, you were breathing rarefied air. And the reason that is most people get blown out. It's incredibly stressful to bear the volatility of operating a business through these cycles. And I do wonder if like, there, there's a skill, there are businesses that are inherently cyclical, semiconductors, construction, gold mining, et cetera. And you know what the skill set that you need to survive is? You need to be paranoid about surviving. You need to have a great grasp on your fixed versus yes. variable cost. Yes. You have to just endure time over time. In tech, that's not it. Tech is a game of exponential going up like this. So you, the game is different there. You load up, right? It's growth at all costs. Don't worry about the fixed cost. Hire as many engineers as you can, yada, yada, and ship it. That is not the dynamic in crypto because there are these drawdowns where if you haven't been careful about your cost base, you get blown right out. And, and I just it's, think it's a great, no, it's, it's, it's perfect. And that's because, and it's exactly right. And it's, it's precisely why, and we're 70, 30, so we can go up to 30% in liquid protocols um, instead of 50, 50. And that's just a decision we made to have more equity, but, but that's exactly right. And it's because we live in a hybrid world now. You don't know what the management of whatever project is going to do with their capital structure. It may be token oriented. It may be equity oriented. It may be a combination. And that's not good, bad, or indifferent. It, we, it is a new world. And one of the things that's interesting is in web one and web two, all of the wealth went to the equity and the apps, not the protocols, right? We're using TCPIP. Neither one of us owns it, right? Can't, can't own it. Today, 80 odd percent of the value so far has gone to the protocols. In the future, I think that number is going to shrink and the amount that goes to the apps and the dApps and the things that get built on top is going to be higher. But, but there's always going to be a big percentage in the protocols because the protocols in some cases, like Bitcoin is not equity, it's digital gold. So it doesn't have like cash flows like a gold miner, but it, 
it has an, a, a use case that, that will accrete value as a store of value. And, but Ethereum, on the other hand, does have some ways to, to participate in cash flow and, and there are other things, but, but then there are others that were just wrong. Like I love Uniswap, the idea of a decentralized DEX, but Uni, the token doesn't share the way it should. So they, I think they need to punt and restart and get a user experience or holder experience where you, you own some stuff, but you know, or, or like, you know, Doge, it's worthless, literally worthless, unless someone finds a use. Like if, if, if they started, there was a guy that wanted to buy parlor and was going to use Doge as the token. Okay. That, that would be a use case. And that would be a way to, to share in, in revenues. Or Elon keeps saying, oh, someday I'm going to let you buy a Tesla. Okay, fine. But until that time, it's a zero. Except it has meme value. Okay, whatever. But there will be these things that, that find a way to mesh the, the, the token and the, the equity economic value going forward. And again, the idea that this is going to go away that they're not going to be any more tokens and they're not going to be any more tokenomics and they're not going to be any more business models. It, it's just dumb, right? Again, show me a good technology that once it was released into mankind, went back in the bottle. I'll, I'll wait, right? That's how I feel too. And I do think that it just, it doesn't, the monkey doesn't go back in the bottle and that things are different now. And this is kind of how it's going to be. And it's not going to be a straightforward line. It'll oh, no. take time. Uh, there'll be setbacks always, and 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 it won't be as predictable. If someone ever sells you a very confident, predictable vision of the future, it is almost definitely not going to be like that. Is what oh, I would geez. say. No, you no, right? and so it's that for sure, right? It's never a straight line. It's the you know wavy line we all see. But the other one is, you know, we've all seen the S curve, right? The concept of the S curve. If you haven't read Harry Dent's book, The Great Boom Ahead, read it this weekend and. It's short read. All of his other books I didn't really like, but that book is amazing because it describes how an S-curve works and why it's important. And everyone needs to understand S-curves. But S-curves are 30-year cycles, right? First 10, 10%. Second 10, 80%. That's the upward slope. And then the last 10 is maturity. We just had the first 10. And the first four or first five, because we just had the 15th anniversary of the white paper, the first four or five, Science project, not really there. But the last 10, I will argue, was, was the first part of the S-curve. So we got the 10% adoption. We're at 10 11% adoption. Now we're going over the next 10 into this S-curve. So what we had, and this is where Tim Draper, who, who again, mad genius, loved the guy. Um, he talks about the IS curve. That in advance of the beginning of the S-curve, Way over here, there's this little blip. And it's where the innovation first comes out and there's euphoria. And then it crashes, right? And if you look at it, it makes a little eye because there's this dot. There's this punctuated dot where everybody's like, oh my God, this is... And that was kind of 2022. Mm. And, and it crashed. And, but then then... That crash, okay, meets the bottom of the S-curve. Remember, 2024, which we've been talking about 
as long as we've been doing the show and I've been talking about for as long as I've been in the business is still not here. That's the beginning of this cycle. 58, 54, 68, 82, 96, 2010, 2024. That's the beginning. The next 10 years are going to just be so awesome. I mean, oh, I can't wait. So awesome. I think, so I awesome. I agree. All right, Mark, that's as good of a place as I need to end it. Best hour of my week, my friend. I will Always. See you. Same time. Have a good one. Cheers. 